think of art, and when we think of art for money, it's almost the impossible dream. It's almost living the impossible dream, art for money. Mm. You know, some people are now um, acquainted with the art of Basquiat. He basically died um, penniless. Yeah. You know, so the money that he got, or the money that came from his art came after yes. his death. You know, when you look at um, other artists like Bob Marley, something very similar. He wasn't making that type of money when he was um, recording with Tough Gong for so many years. Later on, after his death, people visited everything that he meant um, to music and to the socially conscious um, man and woman. Now you see, you know, now his catalog is worth millions. And I, I just say that to say, um, with any art, um, film, print art, music, um, and I'm only speaking from my own personal experiences, when it comes from a place of love or it comes from a place where um, you almost feel like you have to do it. Yeah. I, have to, I have to draw this picture. I have to write this song. I have to get it out. I have to share it with the world. When it comes to art in that respect, the win is just completing it and getting it out there. This is Justin Brandon, and we are back with the Art of Man podcast experience. Um, this week, we have a special episode. I'm sitting down with um, a person who really inspires me. He's a creative. He's an educator. He's um, um, a, a, a poet, an artist, a filmmaker. He's a number of things, including my brother. Um, what you're going to hear coming up next is a great conversation we had sitting down talking about independent filmmaking, um, the responsibility of art, um, and the responsibility and uh, the goal of being an artist and, and how to create even in the particular times, some trying times. Um, once again, it was a great conversation um, with Terrell Tuggle, owner of Film Bomb Brooklyn, and that's coming up next. I have a special guest with me today. I'm doing an interview series, interview series in which we're going to cover a couple of things, things talking about um, building businesses, creating, creating during this um, pandemic. And I have a special guest, you know, and it's, um, it's actually an honor to have him. He's my brother, Terrell hey, Tuggle. Hey, you there? Hey. You there? I'm there. Hey, hey. I hear you. I hear you. Yo, how's, how, how, how have you been? I'm, I'm well, all things considered. I'm here at the epicenter uh -huh. of uh, this pandemic. All things considered, I'm well. I'm well. My family, everybody in the family is good. Good, 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 good. And um, what does this mean for you? Because um, you're a creative. Uh, what is this doing for you? Well, you know, uh, as a creative, you know, I've always been one who always likes to leave the home, go outside and live a little bit. Mm -hmm. Based on my experiences, come back and use that as as um as um uh, uh I guess I would say um inspiration to a degree mm -hmm. and um so everybody has been uh, uh on at home uh, it's taken a little bit away from that but um it hasn't stopped um my creativity you know part of my creative process is going outside and experiencing life 
But um, there's another part of it that, okay. um, based on my experiences and based on um, my own personal exploits, there's just certain stories, there's just certain things um, that I want to do, and uh, I don't necessarily need the outside world's influence in order to do those things. Okay. So as a creative, what are you exploring now? Like, um, I know personally, but um, what is your, what is your main discipline? What's your main focus? Uh, right now, it's film. Okay. And you're an independent filmmaker, and you've done. I'm an independent filmmaker. I have two independent film companies, Film yep. on BK LLC and Adult Film Productions LLC. And by film, I mean I'm really working in film. I'm no longer focusing on the on digital cinema. My focus now is um, using more antiquated um, equipment to tell my stories. So I'm using a Super 8, a Super 35, and a Super 16. Wow. Does that present like any um, particular challenges? Oh, many challenges. And the main challenge with dealing with film or trying to use film is, is it, it's very expensive. Mm. Um, the advent of technology and digital cinema helps in that respect where you can get a the same type of filmic look and the same type of filmic, uh, I guess, um, uh, um, image with um, digital uh, with digital cameras. But because I was always such a big fan of real film and the way it looks, the way it preserves, the mm -hmm. way it breathes, um, and the experience that I've had with real film from the beginning, it's always something that I knew in the back of my mind when I got into narrative or short filmmaking that my, one of my main focus with, focuses would be returning to real film and finding a way to be able to facilitate a production on my own, which is usually uh, with a with shoestring budget that I'm able to put together from my own, uh, my own income. Okay. What inspired that? Was there like a, um, a particular moment? Is it a particular film that... Um, uh, what inspired just wanting to do film or yeah. uh, use film? To both um, to 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 get story. in the film industry, but um, let's start with using the um the particular um celluloid actually using film. Uh, well, starting with that, um, you know, it's something that has always been a passion of mine. Uh, I always have been interested in doing things that will be long standing, mm. something that I could uh create that would have a shelf life, yeah. um, so to speak. And I and I noticed that you know when I look back on certain titles, um films in particular, certain titles that have always been close to me and very personable, personal, like uh, Cooley High and um, 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 Do the Right Thing. All yeah. of these films were actually done on film. Mm -hmm. You know, and I knew being um, an independent uh, filmmaker at this um, stage of my career using my own money to fund my projects that it would be tough because I wouldn't have the money yep. to rent those big Panavision cameras. I wouldn't have the money to buy an exorbitant amount of, of, of film so I could just shoot for the sake of shooting. But I did mm -hmm. know that what it would help me to do was fine-tune my skills. And so my storyboards had to be different. So the, the line reading had to be different. Things had to be more perfected in pre-production before we actually went to shoot. Mm. And um, it actually helped me as a filmmaker in so many ways, more than I can even explain. Are there any particular tools that you use to um, um, to prepare? Do you storyboard? Uh, well, you know, there's different uh, programs that you can use to storyboard. I actually, I have 
a, a path in, in art and that I did draw regularly as uh-huh. a child. And I just used that as a part of a, you know, one of many creative outlets. And so I do all of my storyboards myself. And I, you know, listen, I'm not the greatest artist, mm-hmm. but I am able to convey thematically to the actors and uh, as well as the cinematographers what I want for a scene. And for me, it's not just about the positions of where people are or um, the vantage point of the camera as much as it is the underlying sentiment of the scene mm-hmm. and the colors um, tonally um, creating a mood for the viewer. Got you, got you. I like that. Before we go on, I want to actually, um, I'll probably back up a little bit. And um, because you, you, you brought up um, something of when you were younger and you doing art when you were younger. So uh, what do you think initiated um, the creative bug in you? You know, uh, cognitively, I have to um, think back to my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I spent a lot of birthdays at the theater. I spent um, a lot of time at the museum. Mm. I spent a lot of time with my aunt in the library. And more importantly, with all of my family members, we all spent a lot of time at the movies. Mm. You know, growing up on Gates Avenue as a child, it was a very dangerous neighborhood, and it still is. And I I believe that it was um, my parents and and my aunt, I believe that it was a vision for them to take me out of certain environments and expose me to other um, in an attempt mm-hmm. to not only um, give my creativity um, uh, uh, something else to uh, to um, to utilize, but I think they wanted to let me know that there was there were there were other things outside of what was going on directly in my neighborhood. There were other uh, experiences needed needed yeah. for me to um, get a more um, more of an understanding of life holistically. Mm. And so I was always, I always had a lot of books in my room. Um, since I was uh, maybe two or three years old, I always had my own library, you know, and every week or every month, there was always a new edition for my mom or my dad. And oftentimes the books were further ahead than where I was in the moment. But because they knew that surrounding me with this information, exposing me to new ideas and new arts, that it would eventually have an effect on me, mm. is why I know that now I find um, solace in um, creating art. And I, and I still draw. You know, I don't necessarily show it to people, yeah. but I still draw because the outlet is something that's um, it's very personal to me. I still write poetry. I don't necessarily read it to people yeah. or in front of people. But it's something that's very still, you know, still very personal to me. But I found now that I'm more comfortable with sharing um, the visual aspects of my artistic creativity through film and um, music video. Interesting. And I I also wanted to mention you said you asked the question earlier about, uh, you know, you know what were the experiences that led to me wanting to create or or carve a. a career out for myself in film. You know, growing up on Bethel Stuyvesant on Gates Avenue, mm-hmm. um, I want to say it was around uh, maybe 86, 87, that uh, locally there was a gentleman who was uh, filming a movie on my corner. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm on Gates between Lewis and Stuyvesant. He was actually filming a movie on my corner. And that entire summer I spent on the corner of Stuyvesant watching this young man film. And um, his head cinematographer, 
was black. The director was black. Most of the talent was black. And he was telling a black story in the neighborhood mm-hmm. that I had originated in. That movie would later go on to be known as Do the Right Thing. Mm-hmm. And not only did it change my life, but it changed a lot. I want to believe of anybody who was there to bear witness to that experience. And it was the first time that I had actually seen a black person at the helm of a production. And then I started to do my own research. And I realized that some of the movies that I had liked before, some of the movies that had given me so much inspiration, like A Coolie High, yep. like A Witch, like A Last Dragon, they had also been cut by black directors. Yep. And it was then where the seed was planted that one day I may one I may find myself in a privileged position to be a storyteller like those men who I mentioned. Yeah. And that and that movie that was being um, filmed that was do the right thing. That was do the right thing. Yep, in yep. fact you and our um late grandmother are actually in a team. Mm. The back of us, right? You told me that story because I was younger. Yeah, so that's I, right. That's yeah. right. You know, that that's so interesting because what we're trying to do here at this podcast, I mean, the premise of the podcast is that um, it's, it's called The Art of Man. And that's because um, it's the belief um, that every man comes, in, every person comes into this world a blank slate. I believe um, psychologists call it um, tubular rasa. And mm. um, we're, 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 we're a, a canvas, if you will, a blank canvas. Um, that that canvas is assembled by God, so we we come with some form, but it is our parents um, who start to um, to to paint on us and start to really shape us, shape who we are, and then it goes further into our education and our environment and all these things. And uh, when you, know, you... you should mention that uh-huh. because you know when I hop back to uh, my humble beginnings, mm-hmm. you know my mother always needed um, a point of emphasis. To, to put me in the best academic situations. Mm. Um, because she was an, edu- an educator, she knew of certain schools, certain teachers, certain administrators, and um, certain academic environments more conducive to the um, and to, to the child that I was. Mm. And once she found anything that I was interested in, if it was sports, if it was art, she would always find other resources for me. So on Saturdays, as a child for many years, I spent Saturdays at Pratt Institute doing art. Um, mm. I would spend afternoons with my art teacher, um, and I want to give a shout-out to her, Miss Sawyer, at uh, 308. Yep. Um, I spent many afternoons with Miss Sawyer, mm. um, working in art, working with other artists. And um, all of it was in an effort to cultivate the artist in me. Yep. Um, and it was, it was there where I you know, began to love artists like Romar Bearded, and loving the idea of collage, mm-hmm. and the idea of um, creating pieces that were abstract, yet spoke to something absolute, something focused. You know, like uh, his works on, on on black life during the Harlem Renaissance. Mm. That that helped to shape my mind mm. and the way that I saw the world. Absolutely. You know, even when it came to graffiti, I always saw the beauty in graffiti. I always saw the relevance. In graffiti, the idea that whoever the artist was was actually saying, I was here. It was no different for me than America wanting to plant their flag on the moon. Mm. It's a symbol, something that represents your time here on Earth. And now, working in film, that's my focus. Yep. In making something classic, something that can stand the test of time, and something that will be here even after me and speak to some of the things that I was interested in 
some of the things that I was trying to say about the time that I spent, the people I spent with. Love it. And and obviously that was passed on because as you were shaped, as your canvas was painted on by these experiences and your art teachers and, and um, our parents putting you in certain programs, that was passed on to me because um, you exploring art and me being around you exploring art and, and listening to the music that you listen to and um, watching the film, some of the films that you exposed me to, that, um, that continued to shape me. And um, that's what that's what we want to do with this podcast. We want to be able to continue to um, mold and shape um, the creators of tomorrow, um, the business leaders of tomorrow, um, the individuals of tomorrow, just in general. And um, it, it's it's obvious that it's um it it, it it's it's cyclical. Um, what what um, the experience that one person has, um, they pass on to another. But um, yeah. a, 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 as you speak, um, I'm interested in. Um, in your journey as a filmmaker so far, um, I believe you've done um, a bunch of music videos. Is that correct? Yes, yes music videos, um, commercials, and I do have a short that I filmed many, uh -huh. many years ago that was focused, it was centered around a Biggie Smalls classic. It was, uh -huh. it was sort of like the, um, the impetus to what you saw with what um, uh, Murder, Inc. did with um, Tales. Yeah. You know, so it was, you know, and, and I want also your your listening audience to understand something. Even, you know, even as a, at an early age, you and I would have intricate discussions on film. Mm -hmm. And it was more than just what was going on in the surface. We always talked about the, the pretext and the subtext of film and how it made us feel, yeah. how the camera moved. You know, all of those things, you know, it was like steel sharpening steel. Yeah. You know, you were the first of the family actually make a film and make a few films yeah you know this was in your earlier high school days and then you know i was so i felt you know so great to be afforded the opportunity to work with you on some of those earlier works and then after high school when you went to film school and you made a few films and a couple of stuff and you know you always made me a part of the production it was funny because my in my mind i always thought that eventually we would be like the hughes brothers or the cohen brothers yeah 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 you know? You know, and it, it was it was it was actually something that um, that actually it, it happened organically. Our love for film, but I have to reference um, our aunt Annette. Yeah, she was always a lover of cinema, mm -hmm. and she always made it her business on weekends, at least two or three times out the month, all year long. Yeah, we would spend time at the cinema. Yep. And our time at the cinema wasn't just for one show. We would stay and watch three or four movies mm -hmm. of, of different genres because she had an appreciation for film. And then she also appreciated what we were interested in. We would share that love. Yep. And, you know, it was something that became like a, it's a family tradition. Film is actually a family tradition for our family. Mm. It know, absolutely so I is. To, I have to give a shout out to, um, to um, Matt Lyons, our aunt. Yeah, because um, her always taking me out to the museums, always taking me out to the libraries, and in particular to the cinema. It definitely created um, a, a creative synergy in me to want to one day be able to tell my own story. Yes, yes, yes. But I spent a lot of time, as you had mentioned, doing music videos. And in 2011, when I started Film Bomb BK, my focus was to illuminate some of the talent that I was around. 
I had so many people who I was around who were poets, who were singers, who were, who were rapping, who were producing. I said, what I want to do is I want to make my catalog um, my, my creative cohort. And most of my early work was, was just related to people who I was closely associated with and mm-hmm. still closely associated with. You know, I started working early with a um, gentleman by the name of Matty Tosca. Yep. He was actually um, on, on tour for one of his projects at the time. And we went out to um, Miami um, for Hip Hop Weekly. And um, I started working with some other uh, people in the industry out there. Um, that was my first professional trip. And he had taken me out to do videography. So it was the first time someone BK was actually um, being flown out to a place to work, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had such an appreciation for um, the visual language that I was exhibiting that I was for a time exclusively his videographer. His brother, Adrian Toscano, who's now the owner of True Light Films, because of our work, trying to visually represent his brother, he now has his own um, working film company, and he has several short films, hundreds of uh, music videos, and he's one of the greatest music videos working today. I actually have retired from um, just working on um, music video, and he is now. But what happened was, creatively, we started to push each other mm. to um, to fine tune our skills, and now we find ourselves in a position where um, we're ready to do short and narrative features. Mm-hmm. So, what expi- what inspires you? Because when when you tell me the story of um how you have um it seems like um a creative group that um allows you to push each other. Um, yeah. what keeps you going? What is there a particular type of story that you're trying to continually tell? Is there, uh, there is there a, a role that you're going down? Is there something you're trying to achieve? With, with me, um, without giving too much about um, my latest short film away, I spent a lot of time in the conscious community, um, in different denominations, in different localities, in different schools of thought. Mm. And what I found in film, and I don't just mean particularly black film um, or film done um, from a you know, or, or directed um, by a black person or telling stories from a black perspective, I've noticed that there are just, um, there are certain things thematically that have never been represented. Mm. And maybe that's been in the past because they weren't bankable. Um, but now we're in a position in the world with everything that's going on to kind of re, not necessarily rewrite history, but moving forward. Um, we can introduce new things. And that's part of what I'm working toward now, bringing more consciousness to black film. Mm. And not in a finite way where I'm preaching to the viewing audience about what I believe, but in a way where I'm just opening up the idea of having more conversations centered around consciousness. Mm. So that's my focus now. Um, not only that, but uh, I have something that I, 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 a term that I've coined, I call it urban sci-fi. It's also kind of been uh, uh, coined by many others as Afrofuturism. But I'm kind of yeah. trying to combine the idea of that along with black consciousness. You know, you can kind of consider me the, uh, the Octavia Butler of film. That's okay. my focus right now. Yeah, yeah. 
Wow, I mean, uh, that's beautiful because I mean, it brings like certain films to mind, like um, like a Ken, um, um, uh, Protect the Block. I think with um, I, I, but I, I believe those films weren't even made. They were about the like um the African experience. They they had a lot of black people in them, but they yeah. weren't told by a black filmmaker, which um. I believe actually creates a specific dynamic. Cause if you look at just like a, a movie like black Panther, had that been done 10 years ago and had they got the big it guy, which was probably not going to be um, a, a black filmmaker at that time. It, there's a different lens that you look at um, a people when you aren't a part of those people, when you don't feel you know, it's connected. funny that you should mention that. Because I, I, I heard something that Denzel said. Mm. He um, and I don't want to. Um, I'm, I'm I'm just going to give you what I got from what he said because I don't want to misquote him. Gotcha. Yeah. But he's saying that um, when it comes to direction in film, especially when you have a film that has a, that's thematically about black life, you know, there are cultural differences. Mm. And um, he was explaining what he meant by cultural differences. He says, you know, um, whether you're male or female, grow up in a black home, you understand the scent of the um, the, uh, 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 the curling iron burning on the stove. Mm. Mm-hmm. You understand the scent of the hair in the back of the, um, the black woman's neck as, as the curling iron goes through. You understand the scent of that burning hair and then maybe putting margarine or butter or maybe some Vaseline on it after. Mm-hmm. Or, or you understand that, that screech or that scream when that, that curling iron hits the back of the neck. And those experiences are aching to us culturally. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that there's a, you know, a varied amount of different experiences in different cultures, but it's specific to you. And you can tell when someone's just telling a story from the vantage point of experience. At least I, I'm, I'm, I'm able to in certain instances. Agreed. You know, and so oftentimes, especially when we, you know, we, we, we hark back to the, uh, the, um, the uh, black exploitation era. Those were some great films to me yep. as a cinephile. Those were great films to me. The issue a lot of people had and why they called it black exploitation was because a lot of the directors of those films that I love, a lot of those directors were not black. Mm-hmm. And so they felt that when the directors weren't black, the um, cinematographers weren't black, the production companies weren't black, what they were actually doing was exploiting the African-American experience. Yep. But for me, just having the opportunity to see us on the big screen you know, even if it wasn't um, the best representation of us, you know, some of those movies, you know, where you have these pimps and you have these pushes, you know, the, the Mac to me is still a great, it's a great film, yeah. you know. So I, I learned at an early age from other educators that you have to, um, that you can be taught and you can learn from all cultures yeah. and all different cultures can actually experience part of your culture and have a story to tell about their experience mm. in your culture. And it might not be complete holistically, but at the same time, they do have a right to experience and then tell their stories as they experienced it. The problem I feel was it was no balance. 
It wasn't enough of us then. Yes. From our experiences, and there's still not enough of us now. Yeah. From the stories of our experiences, there's still never been a black director to win the Academy Award for Best Director. But when I looked at the list, and I think it's about maybe um, six or seven directors that have actually been nominated um, for that award, they're amazing directors. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you start to wonder as you work in this um, industry, you know, what, what do you, you know, what do you want from your career? Yeah. Do you want the accolades? Do you want the notoriety? Or do you want to create experiences visually for people to say, I understand that. That's speaking to my own experience. I've actually seen myself up there, you know, and maybe it's not going to sell millions or billions of dollars like Black Panther. Yep. But what it may do is inspire that viewer to also want to tell their story. And that's where I want to be. Mm. You know, I have, um, I've always loved directors like Melvin Van Peebles, Mario Van Peebles, Gordon Parks, um, Charles Burnett, Julie Bass, that whole L.A. Rebellion. But there was one guy in that L.A. Rebellion named Jama Fanaka. He mm. was, when I was younger, he was my favorite director. And he made films that didn't necessarily showcase black life in the most positive light. Mm. He made um, Penitentiary 1 yep. and Penitentiary 2. These are jail movies, and they are, yep, yep, they yep. are bad. You know, you know, but I love those movies. And um, there was one he did called Black Sisters Revenge, and our father he actually bought that film for me. Black Sisters Revenge. Mm. Um, it's also titled Emma Met. If anybody ever wants to look for it, but that movie helped shape my life. It helped to change my life. And so then I started to try to unearth other black directors in that ilk that were making socially conscious pieces that didn't necessarily showcase us in the best light, but they had a certain realness to them, something that I innately connected to. Mm. And that's where I that's what I what I want of my career. It would not necessarily be validated by an award as much as it would be by inspiring the next generation of filmmakers to want to showcase and tell black socially conscious stories. You know, I, I want to uh, move back because you, you said it it, it it shaped you. In how? In, in what way? Well, um, Black Sisters Revenge is also entitled Emma May. It's a story about a young girl whose family was having some issues and they weren't able to take care of her. So they called her aunt, who's actually living, I believe, in Watts. And um, they said, you know, we're going to send Emma May to stay with you. Now, her aunt already had a bunch of kids. Mm. And um, the husband said, listen, I know I have a good job, and yeah, we do have the extra room, but we already have a lot of responsibility. But the aunt says, no. Emma May needs us. We need to open our, our house to her. So they let Emma May come to live with them. And they had um, a son who was in college at the time. So he said, you know, Emma May, you should think about taking classes. Yeah. Why don't you go to the college and, you know, just experience um, other black children working for the future and see where you can find, where you feel you, you are best suited. Uh. So she goes out, she gets uh, connected to uh, a guy who's kind of part of the underworld. He ends up going to prison. And what she does is she organizes the entire community to start to do um, uh, different activities to generate money to get him out. 
But while he's in prison, she edifies herself, not only on leadership, but on the socially community, social community active um, um, policies and processes, just in order to improve the um, um, not only the lives of her um, family that she's currently living with, but everyone who had brought her in and made her feel like she was now a part of this community. And so she ended up becoming like uh, um, the, the I would, what I would have to say was um, considered back then a community advisor. Mm. You know, but she ends up picking the wrong guy. He comes out of prison and he's disrespectful. But what he finds is when he comes out of prison, that Emma May is no longer this country girl. I think she came from Louisiana to LA. She was no longer this country girl. She was this powerful black queen that had earned the respect of the entire community. Mm. So when he had disrespect, to, you know, he had been like um, like the Debo of the community. When he came out of prison, she had won over the entire community by fighting for civil rights, not only his, but other people from the community. And um, so there's this spoon at the end where he's disrespecting her and the entire community comes out. And everybody denounces his actions, and you know she beats him up. And of course, there's some folly and there's some old school stuff too. It's just kind of like, why is that even in there? But as a young child watching, I said to myself, you know, there is something here mm. that that's important. You have you have a black woman in a leadership capacity, early seventies. You know, she's respected by the board member and the gang member. And she's earned their respect because she's fought not only for herself, but for their rights. And even as a child, that spoke to me. You know? So it was no it was no different than when um, you know, bugging out was fighting for some black faces upon that wall. Yep, yep, yep. You know, those that um those conversations, that dialogue, it didn't miss me. You know, when we talk about Michael Schultz and some of all of the, you know, the great films in his his catalog, you know, like Last Dragon. But when I when I first saw Which Way Is Up, I was a big fan of Richard Pryor. I used to sit at home and listen to our father's Richard Pryor album because mm-hmm. we wanted. You know, there was this character written called the Man. I guess the Man was like the symbol for uh, right wing America, but white America, mm-hmm. and he would wear rings and it would shine like a diamond, and anybody who was associated with him, black, white, or any other denomination, the way you would know that they were in concert with him is they would wear this ring. And anytime he was showcasing the Supreme Court, he had like this, this, um, this music that would play in the background that would let you know this guy is working for the man. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. But what he had done, you know, there was this, um, this, this uh, idea of the man being um, the equivalent of all that was holding black people back mm-hmm. in America. We would say at that time, it, it's the man. You know, so when he had actually tried to create the uh, the physical representation of that, and then he made it almost like a MacGuffin throughout the film, I was like, you know, this is, this, this, it, didn't, it didn't get past me. It wasn't just for entertainment value. It spoke something to me socially, consciously, mm-hmm. you know? And I said, you know, there are ways that you can um, bring information. There are ways that you can um, make people more socially conscious and aware without preaching to them. 
you know, you can't um, um, uh, victimize and um, prophesize to the same people. And that's what it seemed like a lot of things were happening in film where either, you know, people were trying to jam down your throat, do it this way, or, or, or they were just trying to jam down your throat, this is just the way black people do it. There is a way you can actually create a social awareness and consciousness with your film without being too preachy. It might be a fine line, but I've seen it done time, time and time again, and people people miss it all the time. I think that's why uh, directors like Tyler Perry get such a bad rap. They miss they miss the um the message, mm. and uh, maybe it's that they don't like the messenger um, or the presentation. But I've always been the type of person that can eat the meat and spit the bones, mm. and I can uh, I can focus on the prophecy and not the prophet. And so Tyler Perry. He's one of my favorites, you know, just like Barry Jenkins is one of my favorites, just like Ava DuVernay is one of my favorites. Yeah, Tyler Perry is one of my favorites, too. Look at what he's done yeah. in black film. Look at what he's done for the culture of black film, mm. you know. And so that's why, you know, it was those kind of films, you know, um, Black Sisters Revenge. Uh, Ralph Bosby, who was actually a white man. He had this cartoon back in the day. It's called Coonskin, another socially conscious piece. All of these pieces, our father, he actually had in the catalog. And I would watch these films. Even yeah. as a young person, I watched these films. And what I experienced in these films was um, not only a certain level of edification and certain um, social awareness, what it gave me was just, a, 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 I think, a, a starting point from my own scholarship in, in, uh, in consciousness, wanting to learn more. If I was going to be an agent of change, I needed to go out and edify myself on certain final points of other denominations so I could have an understanding and that we can have intellectual discourse without confusion or without either trying to assert who is superior, mm. you know. That was really my focus as a child and how you know, I'm making it my focus now as a filmmaker. Um, I can only leave up to the viewer, and I hope that they can experience it the way that I set out for them to. Where does that responsibility come from for you? Um, because you see that there are people who are interested in um, entertainment for the sake of entertainment, which is fine, but what? where does that come from for you where you feel, it seems like you feel... A, a responsibility for your community. It feels seems like you feel a responsibility for the culture. Where does that come from? Um, again, I would have to um, give reverence in that respect to my parents. Uh -huh. You know, my mother always being an educator and always working in formal education for the state of New Department of Education for the state of New York. Uh, I remembered you know, when she would come home and do lesson plans and the time she would put into that. I remember the phone calls to students' homes mm. and I remember the conversation she would have away from the school about her students and how much they meant to her. And I remember seeing the exchanges between the community and her yep. based on her relationship to those schools. And I realized she wasn't only a mother to me at home, she was a mother to the community at that school. My father, our father. Yep. The vocational foundation, he was like a professional mentor. Mm -hmm. And when I went with him many times, 
to the Vocational Foundation, I experienced him different through other people's experiences of him, with him, experiences with him. You know, they would tell me little stories, you know, your dad did this for me, you know, your dad explained that for me, and it wasn't for your father. And it was, you know, I was getting these uh, responses from anybody and everybody who I spoke of my mother and father. Mm. And then when I went to school, I was always in a perfect position to always be mentored by great men and women. People who really just had my best interests in heart. And let me tell you, everyone wasn't just black. Yes. I really great educators of all ethnicities at PSP08 and at Bishop Lachlan yeah. Memorial High School all in Brooklyn who really worked as if they had an invested interest in me aside from what they were doing professionally and I think what it did was it created a moral compass in me that it was as important to teach and, and um, give back as it was learn and receive. You know, my, my mom had a saying um, back in the days, our mom had a saying, it's not yours because you can give it away. And later on, that saying started to resonate with me. And um, it made me want to write this book that will be uh, coming out this year. It's called For the Edification of the Urban Independent Filmmaker. Mm. It'll also be followed by a free course for um, eighth graders and um, high schoolers um, to learn the business of film. Yep. Um, how to be a working filmmaking business, starting from creating an LLC to post-production on your first project, whatever it is, commercial, video, film, uh, a movie, etc. You know, but it was my experiences with great mentors, my first two being my mother and father. But my experiences with having great mentors gave me... Um, I want to say, a social responsibility to do the same mm. for the Federation coming behind. That's great. That's great. Um, obviously, um, us growing up in the same household, um, I believe those same things have rubbed off on me. And uh, But um, where, where you... I believe that um, as this goes out into the, um, the internet world... Um, there are going to be some filmmakers who are watching this and um, beyond the, the artistry, there's the business part of it because the business part of it um, supports our ability to be artists. And um, yeah. so what is it like being an independent filmmaker when it comes to the business of it? Um, uh, is it as lucrative as people believe or? You know, Jay, I want to think, I want to say this, you know, I don't, I don't have all of the answers, but I can answer from my perspective. Perfect. Um, it's lucrative, I'm sure for some, uh-huh. but uh, when you think of art, and when you think of art for money, it's almost the impossible dream. It's almost living the impossible dream, art for money. Mm. You know, some people are now um, acquainted with the art of Basquiat, where he basically died. Um, penniless. Yeah. You know, so the money that he got or the money that came from his art came after yes. his death. Yeah. You know, when you look at um, other artists like Bob Marley, something very similar. He wasn't making that type of money when he was um, recording the Tough Gong for so many years. Later on, after his death, people visited everything that he meant um, to music and to the socially conscious um, man and woman, 
now you see, you know, now his catalog is worth millions. And I, I just say that to say, um, within art, um, film, print art, music, um, and I'm only speaking from my own personal experiences. When it comes from a place of love or it comes from a place where um, you almost feel like you have to do it. Mm. I have to. I have to draw this picture. I have to write this song. I have to get it out. I have to share it with the world. When it comes to art in that respect, the win is just completing it and getting it out there. Mm. If, 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 you, if the reward that you're looking for is more than just the experience from the creation mm. to the sharing, then you might not feel um, you've gained much without getting awards or without getting money, or you might not think the uh, ends have justified the means. Yeah. You know, but for a person like myself, uh, if, if, if there was no industry for film, if there was no industry for, for video, but if I had the capacity to create these things, I would have created them for myself. Mm just to watch it in my own crib, just for me. Mm. You know, we had um, VHS cameras in the house. Back then when I was doing poetry, I used to just film the community. And yeah. I, would, um, I would cut in the poetry that I recorded at my friend's Ricardo house and make like these uh, montages. For me, it was like a Lamar baby collage in my head. These montages of images along with the words from the poetry. And mm. that was really just for my own um, enjoyment. Yep. And I believe artists, or many of them, are doing the art with the intention of just creating and sharing what they've created. And they have those who have, are in a system where they've made some money and in that monetized system, maybe now moving forward, they are continuing to make art with the, in, with the, with the pursuit of making money in mind. But I have to believe, and this is only taken from my own experience, that initially as an artist, um, the only true deductive reasoning is you have to make it. You have to draw it. You have to see it. It might not be in Madison Square Garden. It may just be at the church. You know, your picture might not be showcased at the Met, but your grandmother will always have a place for it on her refrigerator. You know? And if you can experience the same joy from seeing it on her refrigerator as you can see it being showcased at the net, then you'll feel fulfilled. Mm. So it's actually for me, it's what you look to gain from it. Mm. But I think innately, it's about creating and then sharing the creation. Not necessarily looking for the validation, yeah. but wanting others to share in the experience of what you've created and see what that creation helps them to experience because then you relive it or you live it differently vicariously to how they experience the art that's it uh, i i mean because i i have these experiences where like you know it's almost it almost hurts you to keep it in you know like it it, it burns you not to make it like if you don't get it out it's almost like you you're you're you have like this this um artistic bucket inside of you and it just it starts to fill up to the point where it's it's exploding and you have to dump it out you know and if you don't get it out it's 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 almost cancerous to 
to not let it go. And, um, you know, any artist out there, you understand, you just got to let it go. You know, you, you really just have to, um, put that pen on the paper, um, to turn the power on that camera. Or if you're thinking about podcasting, hit that record button because you just, you have to let these things go. You just have to get them out at whatever level you are at this point, you know, um, because we, we're all going to grow. We're all going to get better and we have to be, um, satisfied with creating at all those levels, creating your first short and and letting it be terrible, but it was your first short and let it be special to you, you know, all the way up to you making, you know, your, um, hundred million dollar film, if you ever get there or being satisfied with a $10,000 budget, whatever that is for you. You know, after, you know, one of the greatest feelings after making a music video or even doing the, the short that I did, The People versus Biggie, just sitting with my friends wasn't mm-hmm. a part of the creating, the creative process and others who hadn't, but who had waited to see what the end result was mm-hmm. and just experiencing it with them and hearing somebody say, yo, bring that back, line that, oh man, that piece right there, oh, you know, that those conversations it didn't mean more to me if I was having those conversations on the Breakfast Club. Mm. You know, the people who are in my closest cohort are dope. When they validate something, it's really dope. Yeah. You know? And so it was enough for me to just have that shared experience with them. I felt the success just in that. Mm. You know? And of course, it ignited something else or reignited something else in me to want to continue. You know, back in the days when I was in high school, I used to go down to the New York poet poetry um, spot and uh, perform poetry. I remember a couple of times Angel came down, but she didn't come to the New York because she came to Brooklyn Mall. Mm-hmm. And um, there was there was something about writing and then performing the poetry that was cathartic. Mm. And I think that we all were experiencing it that way. And everybody in here was there for the same experience. We wanted to share. And we wanted to see what we were shared. Um, help others to either experience what we felt at the time or see how it made them feel as we were um, saying the words that we had written. And that for me was the success. Mm. Just getting up there and sharing. I ain't going to find a felt the sense of validation in the clap after. Yeah, yeah, of course. Sharing what I was there for. You know, I don't even know if I, I shared this story with you. Um, the the first time that I I would say like I really knew when I was on stage when in high school when I did um the for color girls play, and I was doing my 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 scene, and I was doing my monologue, and I literally I I remember it as a um a out of body experience, because I I'm doing my scene but I'm seeing myself. And at the same time, I'm seeing the audience. And the thing that I remember was people sitting at, scooting up to the edge of their seat, and they were intently listening. And it was something intoxicating about that feeling, understanding that I was able to um, garner a person's attention, um, intense attention. And, you know, and attention is currency. And to for a person to give that to you, 
uh, means a lot because they can they can use that in many different ways. They can decide to give their attention to a number of things. But when they give that to you, there's a validation and also a responsibility, you know, that I felt at that moment. And I knew that I, I had to I had to be a performer at that moment and then i uh, subsequently end up having feelings about a similar feeling when um when i did um the short film in high school and we had the um the film festival and one person after it came to me and he he just had this conversation he was like you know he was really just talking about the film he was like you know i really like that character and before that i was like i don't even know if people are getting what i'm trying to do with this but just that one conversation was special enough that i got one person to be interested one person to um to uh, create a perspective based off of my perspective and 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 at the end of the day that's something that um i'm working hard to hold on to because you can you can lose sight when you're getting in this creation and we all live in a society where you know we need money to survive but to not have the art be um destroyed or 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 suppressed by um the need or, or the want for finances and letting it be pure and and those pure moments are are those moments when you're on the stage and you're doing your poetry and you you you're, you're feeling that that connection with everybody in the crowd of we're all sharing this experience with each other you know or or when you're when you're shooting you got your camera out in the street and you see people who are just intently looking at something that you're creating no matter who it is, whether it's, you know, millions of people watching or one person watching, that's still an amazing thing. That's still an amazing achievement for one person to say, you know, you know, I like what you did here or a million people to say, I like what you did here is still something amazing to achieve. And just artists holding on to that fact that, you know, that you can be free to create you know and i think i think that's like what every artist is really striving for just to have the freedom of creativity yes you know it's funny that you explained it that way but that also speaks to the question you asked about feeling a social obligation or social conscious obligation Mm -hmm. in making film what you say in film when you're as a, as a music film making as an art, if you think of it this way, and the picture that you're painting, it has the words, like a song, as the lyrics. Then it has the uh, underlying sentiment, which may be just the, uh, the, um, uh, the, 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 uh, the theoretical um, connection to the, the character and the situation and circumstance. Mm. You know, based on who you learn that character to be in your experiences with them to this juncture in film. When, when, you, when you are able to tell the story through prose, then the visual aesthetic, and then you already have, um, you're, you're, you're aware that it needs to be subtext in the context, and in that in the social consciousness. I think. That's what's so important about you know what I what I want to what I'm doing right now mm. is that when you when that when someone cheers or gives you that time and you use that time to tell and show 
and, and then uh, uh, I guess uh, uh, I'm looking for the words of uh, trying to you uh, you inject either through suggestion or directly through um, the dialogue uh, so certain conscious aspects regarding life. You know, the conversations that happen after someone watches the film not only speaks to what they saw, mm. but what they were trying to say. And those filmmakers are the ones who have are more connected to. Not only did they show something that connected to me, however, but it was what I thought they were trying to say with the piece. Mm. And the fact that they thought that they thought enough of the viewer to try to say something. They thought enough of the art form to think that it was important through it to convey something. Mm. You know, and I think that's why, um, you know, this is this is what I've always been meant to do. I believe that's why um, certain films and certain genres resonate. I mean, if you if you look at um, it, it's definitely a sci-fi action film, um, like The Matrix. It resonates because um, they were trying to say something. You know, yeah. um, when you look at The Terminator, you 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 know there is something being explored. When you go to one of our one of our favorite filmmakers, Spike Lee, um, Jungle Fever, More Better Blues. There is there's an exploration happening, you know. It's 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 almost as if the uh, you know um, we're you know you're taking the place of an astronaut and and um, the filmmaker is like piloting you around this um this this world you may have that looks unfamiliar, but that world becomes very interesting to you and you know you land on that world and you're living through these um these beings that you've never met before, you know, it's, 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 it's a, the, the best films are journeys and um, journeys into um, experiences that you haven't experienced before worlds that you haven't seen before adventures, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's an amazing power to, um, to wield. And um, it, it's important for, I think every artist every person to to take that power seriously especially people who are, are given gifts you know um and i believe there are people who are gifted with the ability and a, a, a vision to um to create and wield this power and um hopefully um we're all using it properly you know i agree 100 uh, percent you know you know, I'm hesitant in certain remarks to certain things because I don't want to um, assert myself as a master of mm -hmm. the art. Mm -hmm. You know, not only is filmmaking a film a journey, but my filmmaking experience is a journey. Yeah. One that I still feel like I'm just scratching the surface of. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for your for your listeners, I, I'm not asserting that I'm a master in art of filmmaking. Where I am as a student. An art of filmmaking, the same as I'm a student in the art of life, living, you know, under the means and conditions in which you find yourself, you know, and it's the same way with filmmaking. You make what you have the means um, to, 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 to make at the time based on your situation and circumstances. 
far as I'm looking. So, you know, that's been my approach. I'm constantly working and trying to edify myself on certain final points, but I'm not mm. losing sight of why it's so important to me. It's just what we were just talking about. It's giving somebody a gift or creating the opportunity conversation mm. on what I was trying to say. That's what I look forward to. I just want to be in order to have those conversations with, with that this character and that part of the dialogue. What was he trying to say here? Yeah. You know, and then have opportunities to come. You know, let me say this. I have opportunities to come with some of the viewers who are core fans or interested in, in the film and then have conversations with them. You know, I used to go to, it's, it's crazy, you know, people will make, write books and, They'll have book signings, but then they'll have these readings where they'll just do excerpts of of, um, of books. So, you know, I would always go to different excerpt readings from, like, um, Walter Mosley, my favorite author, especially at the time. You know, and he would, um, someone would say, you know, Mr. Mosley, when you wrote so-and-so book, the person would have the book, he said, well, read read the lines out to me. The person would stand up in front of all these, read out the lines, and then he would explain to them in the moment going on in his life, what was going on in the character's life, and then he would give like a backward narrative on the character mm. that really wasn't even introduced in the book, but he would tell you from the, show you from the vantage point on which he was writing, so you can understand why the character was, what he had experienced and why he was experiencing the moment this way. And I always look forward, maybe one day, you know, doing films where I could have, not necessarily readings, but we would show clips of films People would ask questions like, what did you mean when the whole scene was read? And just, you know, I always wanted to do that with directors. You hear me, Jay? Like, yep. I always wanted to, like, sit with Spike and, you know, John Singleton, God bless the dead, yep. and ask him about certain scenes, you know, and, you know, what was the context and why, you know, when you, when you wrote that scene with Trey get out the car, you know, how many, how many different ways did you see that happening? Was that always a part of it? Yep. You know, just little, you know, things of that nature. Or, or I want to know, you know, like uh, little questions like in the Hughes Brothers when they did Medicine Society, when you guys use love and happiness for Al Green, would you always want to use that song mm. during the drive-by opening scene? Or was there other songs you guys have talked about? You know, just little um, questions that only true lovers of the films themselves yep. would even care to know. You know, that was that's always been a vision of mine to make something with people who want to come and talk about it context and subtext film and whether or not they liked it and what the experience was. That's all that conversation, mm. you know, about art. I think it's really where um, certain artists leave a greater impression or impression on the world. It's the conversation centered around their art, even after they're gone. Mm. You know, it's like people talking about you know, Van Gogh's blue period, you know, if it was Van Gogh's blue period, you know, those kinds of things, like, you know, I had a conversation with someone recently about Basquiat. Mm-hmm. This person was an artist. Um, and um, one now that's gaining a lot of notoriety, he'll remain nameless, but he questioned certain aspects of Basquiat's art, you know, but to me, I didn't, I didn't even explain, you know, say this to him when we were having a conversation to me. Greatest piece about 
giving the idea back to me. I was telling we're having a conversation about it. It was still a part of the conversation. Yeah. And I, and I do know that there's this conversation about his art. The same way there's this conversation about artists and their art. Yeah. But being a part of that artistic conversation and where those conversations go, mm-hmm. that's where, you know, my career focuses. What are they saying about what I was trying to say? Yeah. You see, and that's where, like, um, as we go on our artistic journey, we're growing. But as we're creating the art and people are having the conversations about art, we're sparking the conversation and the, the seeds for their growth, you know, so, that, like, you know, it becomes exponential. And I think that's one of the beauties uh, of art is that, you know, it, it's an exponential thing it's it's something that happens you know people are constantly talking about um films from 30 years ago and those things are shaping them shaping their mind through their um when they watch it and when they have these conversations and um there's this there's there's not many things that do that you know and i've always felt like that the artist is one of the most important individuals that people don't necessarily um see as important because it goes under the auspices of entertainment but the the people in every situation run to art they run to art when they're sad they run to art when they have when they're happy they run to art to change their mood they run to art to um capture a certain mood um, people run to art before they run to medicine, and um, and th- th- there's a beauty in that. There's a there's a beauty in that, and um, and and you know, I'm just I'm thankful to um be a part of that and to be on this artistic journey. Yes, and you know, I want to say this also to the listeners: how important it is to continue to create art, whatever your art is, whatever mm-hmm. your choice of art. Yep. You know, you can liken it to me, you know, you're listening to maybe a YouTube playlist or a playlist of music and you come across an artist and then you go into that artist's discography and you unearth other things about that artist. And then there's a feeling you get from putting somebody on to that artist. You know, did you hear of? Have you ever heard of? Yeah. The thing about creating artists, you never know when someone can unearth or discover what you left of value. Yep. You know, if you put everything you had into it and add all of your experiences, good and bad, to it as a representation of what you've um, learned, there, there is a, there is a, there is a, a time where someone will find it and it will inspire them to not only create, but maybe just be able to move on. Mm. And I find a value in doing whatever I've ever done to being able to put it out there in that. And one day, someone will discover this, and someone will have intellectual discourse surrounded on around this and they will experience 
my creativity mm-hmm. while I was here. Yep. And hopefully they'll feel enough of, about it or, or value it enough to share it with others <sighs> and keep my name alive. Mm-hmm. I really, I really, um, really want everyone to continue to work toward their art and in their art. Even if it's just you enjoy singing and you're not really good at it. Yeah. There's a value in the cathartic experience of allowing yourself to release through those mediums. Mm. I found it and I found it to be true. And it's on any, you know, uh, on any level, not even professional. Just do it to get it out and share it. If anybody can gain anything from this conversation, is that there's a value in in the shared experiences of man. Mm. And if you choose to showcase it through art, understand that people will find it and experience it and find value in it. Mm. And it might not come back to you to where you were told or you had heard that that's what happened, but just know it's enough in sharing. Mm-hmm. And I'm working toward being that first director to win the Oscar for the I was just I'm, I'm here with the I said I wasn't going to say that. Yeah, yeah. Show, but uh, <laughs> but uh, that would be, you know, something else that uh, would be the icing on the cake. For, me, for it to be me. For it to be you, for it to be one of your children, one of my children, yep. you know, that would be something else too that I would uh, take great joy in. But I want to thank you for having me. I've always wanted to be on one of your shows. I've always been in your films, you know, and uh, I can't wait to um, get back to filmmaking with you as well and working with you. Absolutely. Yeah, in front of the camera. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's funny because something you said earlier, like you you saw us as um a potential of being like a Hughes brothers as a Cohen brothers, and um I I always saw that, and I've always wanted that for us. Um, and, and and I think this moment is something to um to encapsulate probably you know uh, to push us to 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 making that happen. To, um, I agree. To, to and I love what you're it. doing with your podcast. I love what you're doing with your podcast. All your careers, from filmmaking, uh, from the, uh, when you had your power line, uh, to your podcast. I love what you're doing. I love how you've always um, just taking chances and, and, and whatever the spirit has taken you. You know, you've just you've always um, just done great things. So. I, I've always wanted to be on one of your shows and have a conversation with you. And, and, and I want you to understand what this means to me for you to have had me here and speaking with your audience and sharing this experience with me. And I didn't want to miss for them to say, check me out at Filmball BK at Instagram yep. and uh, YouTube and Facebook. Check me out at Adult Film Productions and Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, also, look out for um, Samantha. Teacher that will come out later on this year, 2020, That's as right. well as Do or Die, a Best Bad Chess documentary that will also come out this year, 2020. Um, that was just uh, 
I had to do a, a little shameless post right there. No, no, I appreciate that, and we're going to put everything in the description. And, and I just want to, I just want to let you know that it's 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 just as important for you to be on my podcast because you um you have supported me in every endeavor that I did from t- picking up the camera in high school and asking oh, you to and, um, and your photography and the photography and, and the picking up that black and white you know um, manual camera and, and learning from there and and I really appreciate that and I just want to let you know that um you inspired me in many ways you probably don't even know um back back I, I, I could still remember a conversation here you talked to Angel about um the movie Reservoir Dogs and how what that made me want to say, you know, and I was younger and I was like, you know, I got to find this. And and that was way before on demand where you had to like wait to see something or, or go to a blockbuster movie, but um, always exposing me to um, different forms of art, whether it be in music, putting me onto Neo Soul, putting me onto the best hip hop, putting me onto um, movies. One of my favorite movies of all time, Grease is one of the movies that you showed me. And um, yeah, just just being a person in my corner saying, you know, yeah, you could do it. it. You know, yeah, sure you can make a movie. I'll be a part of it. You know, you know, sure you make a podcast. I'll be a part of it. And and that's important for us to keep going. You know, just as brothers, you know, sharpening each other, sharpening each other. But um, also sitting down and having these conversations and putting it on YouTube like we're doing it right now, and um, hopefully sharpening some other people. And you know, this was this was just a great conversation. Um, one of many that we're gonna have, and one of many that's gonna have been happen in this series of um, me sitting down and talking to um, creatives, talking to business individuals, and um, just providing some value for um, people out there um, in whatever time. You know, we're living in a, a particularly interesting time, but the internet is gonna allow these conversations to live forever. And um, thank you, Terrell Tuggle. Thank you. Um, this Just was, say one more thing to your yeah. audience before I go. This is Terrell Tubble, owner and operator of Film Bomb BK and Adult Film Productions. Yep. I have two productions coming out this year. That's um, The Master Teacher, as well as Do or Die, Best Buy Chess Documentary. I also have a small boutique theater for film, art, music, and fashion in Brooklyn. It's called the Esoteric Theater. It's at 1436 Atlantic Avenue. So come out and experience and share to our, um, to the esoteric uh, atmosphere we've created there. Thank you for having me on this show. I can't wait to come back and speak to your um, listening audience again. I had a wonderful time. And you know what's crazy? This is actually just one of one of our regular conversations, yep. which is actually shorter. Yep, right? The other day we were on for like you. almost three yeah. hours. I love you, my brother. I love you too, man. Yeah, my family out there. Thank you once again. Perfect, perfect. I'm just going to close it out. I'm Justin Brandon. This was the Art of Man podcast experience. We had a great one. We were sitting down with a filmmaker, um, a businessman, um, a creative, uh, a forward thinker, um, and just had a great conversation. We're going to continue these conversations. And this is it for this one. We're out. Peace. Peace.